0: welcome 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 to the outpost podcast
1: very good that was
0: excellent
2: you're, it's gonna you're, make the cut you're what in I charge to
1: that is exactly
0: <laughs> what this is gonna open up with now
3: Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Outpost Podcast at Orange Nebula Headquarters. Yes, the which new we space.
1: have nicknamed the barn. Welcome Come back to the barn.
3: Version 2.0. <laughs> There's a lot of natural light here, which we really appreciate. We argue back and forth about whether or not we want to roll shades down, roll them up, what the correct lighting is. It's it's a detailed process to get the right setting and atmosphere for mm-hmm. us here. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to do it. If yeah. we this opened the
2: I, door, there'd be a fantastic breeze.
0: Oh, yeah, there would be. But the bugs. And There's the noise. The and the Obviously. F-16s.
1: Yeah.
0: hmm <laughs> The F-16s are just going to come in. <laughs>
1: Guys, what do you
0: do here? Oh, Mister F sixteen. Sorry, we don't. We don't. We don't have. Why do anything you assume you? it's
3: a Mister F sixteen?
0: This is the F sixteen.
3: There we go. That's the right pronouns. Hello, the F
0: sixteen.
3: <laughs> okay, so today our episode's going to be just. It'll be rough. You know, it's going to be rough. We're in a new space. We don't know what the heck we're doing. We're
2: entering an experimental season. Yeah. We
3: are in an experimental
2: podcast. Might sound a little different. It might. Every time for the next few times mm-hmm. while Until we try to microphone
3: something.
0: setups. And so we appreciate your patronage. Forever. It's going to be doings. like this
1: forever. So no. just hang
0: on.
3: Forever's a long time. Yeah. Really long.
0: mm mm-hmm. can, can forever truly exist?
3: Does time even exist?
0: I don't know. That's kind of along the same lines of can forever exist. Is time just a concept that we've made up?
3: Yes. Yeah, I mean, it completely. No. Has,
0: and no oh that's true because we have the concept of space time
3: there we go Mm -hmm. so let's start out talking we
2: solved that
3: (laughs) (laughs) let's start out talking a little bit about what is going on at orange nebula jamie stagmeyer put out a video about his favorite mechanic for vindication and Mm -hmm. i watched that and thought that was really cool tell me a little bit about your all of your responses to that
2: well, I'll let Mark respond to how what that means to us personally. I just want to talk about how cool I think it is that Jamie does this at all. It's right in line with our heart and our vision for how the industry should operate that Jamie spends his time pointing out other things that other creators are doing that deserve attention and that he likes. Mm-hmm. You know, So much of any industry is inward facing. Look what we've made. Here's our marketing. Here's our next thing. And Jamie takes the time to point out the good things that other people are creating and celebrate other people's work. And I I just think that's commendable.
1: Yeah, I don't think I could even add anything to that other than I really respect Jamie over at Stonemeyer Games. And the whole heart that he does have for the community, he does so much. He is always working. He's extremely responsive and... Fair and open with his community. And my favorite mechanic series of videos that he does are short, they're to the point, they're insightful. I watch them all the time and had no idea that ours was even going to be up there. It did take Jamie a long time to play the game after he got it. I think it was like, <laughs> like six months or something. But yeah, I was, gosh, what do you say? I, I'm glad that he really connected with. With the parts of the game that he did, it means a lot for somebody who plays as many games as he does, and scrutinizes as many games as he does, and designs and interacts and stuff like that. I think it's really high praise to just kind of be included the way that he did, and it just feels good to to have the hard work pay off that way.
3: It almost feels full circle to me, like because Mark, when you were preparing for the very first Kickstarter, you know, you read his books and you reached out to him for advice and. To then have that product that you researched his content in order to help you do a successful Kickstarter, and then to have him reviewing your product that was was a product of that successful Kickstarter—it's like a really cool full circle cycle mm-hmm. to find ourselves in. I felt super honored and excited about That's him a putting that out.
2: Fine circle cycle.
3: It's a satisfying circle cycle. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Hashtag we, that. <laughs> we Hashtag owe English. so much. We owe so much to other people when we do things. It's interesting. I think we touched on this in a previous episode, but the list of credits for, for all of these products should be pretty long. Even just the influencers and the people that you read about and that you watch videos and you kind of get inspiration from deserve credit for that and i think that's definitely true in the case of of jamie what he's doing
2: jamie's one of he's, he's probably the most prominent but there are so many people in this industry that are so incredibly willing to help out oh yeah and like we're, we're working on a whole bunch of new stuff just logistically with orange nebula and you reach out to pretty much anyone i spent 30 minutes the other day on the phone with vince from lucky duck games they did chronicles of crime which won all these awards last year, a huge game. I'm sure he's immensely busy. They just finished a huge Kickstarter and he talked to me for 30 minutes and just gave me all this advice and connected me with people. And it just, everyone takes the time to give you the help that, that they got from someone else or that they wish they had. And it's just a very helpful and just, you know, community of creators.
0: That's something that I've noticed too, kind of coming from the outside, not having a real board game background is that the board game community is just as invested as in everybody else's success as they are in their own success. And everybody's very open and very welcoming and really just wants to take board gaming to the point where it's just the
2: most welcoming
0: thing you could possibly have. So, so it's like
2: everyone's pushing together yeah. to make board gaming successful as right. their company. Even the concept of board gaming,
0: right? Just sitting around a board game and interacting with people instead of through screens or devices or something like that is kind of that that same concept of bringing people together translates into the community Mm -hmm. of creators, which is really cool to see.
3: Beautiful. Thank you. That's exactly the commentary I was hoping for. You're (laughs) super
0: (laughs) welcome. All right. I'm going to call it a (laughs) day.
3: As as fun and wonderful as those comments are, there are something else that we want to talk about that maybe people won't be as happy about. Maybe not.
1: Talking about the Nuggets again?
3: No, I would love to be talking about. I the I mean, nuggets we're again.
1: sorry the Nuggets aren't
2: here yet. No,
1: I don't we're think talking about
2: else is down about the Nuggets. We're
3: talking about Space Game. Wow. Oh. So,
1: <laughs> oh. so
3: we've talked in the last.
1: There's couple- nothing but good good vibes on the Space Game.
3: Okay, okay, but we talked we talked a couple weeks about, ago about the idea that people could come to Gen Con and check out Space Game and actually play it. But as we're working through development, that may or may not actually happen. You want to give us a little information yes. on that?
2: Yes. You know, we, we had we just want to rein in a little promise we sort of made about having games at Gen Con that you can check out and go and take and play. We recently had some significant aha revelation moments that we are incredibly excited about in the space game that did require us to take things back a little bit and... It you know it's adding some time to the cycle, but the game is we're we're so excited about where it is right now. It's all we want to be doing.
1: No question. Yeah, I mean we we've got the name. We're working on finalization of all of the graphic components so that we can get all the prototypes. So we've been we've been playtesting it, but not heavily. So, there's just there's just more development time needed before we kind of put it out there publicly, like at Gen Con. There'll be a lot to see at Gen there Con. There will
2: be a lot to see <clears> at <throat> Gen Con. We're also doing a lot of work on other things for Gen Con. Right now, I'm looking at our whiteboard, which, by the way, is glass and very classy. It
3: really looks great.
2: Mm-hmm. You'd be impressed. It's covered with a giant list of the stuff that we are going to make and bring to Gen Con, including... A giant list of shirts and patches and stickers, many of which no one will have ever seen before the show.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. So and if you cool are at Gen Pins. Con,
2: you should come and see us and get this stuff. We will also be putting together some sort of Gen Can't situation where during the show, having some items available on the website at a Gen Can't discount for people who aren't at the show, will they'll still have the opportunity to get something
1: during on a, on those four days only. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so basically, you can get the same stuff for the same deal and not have to be at Gen Con.
2: Mm-hmm. But if you're at Gen Con, you get hugs from Derek mm-hmm. and whatever random other goodies we throw in your bag when you're not looking. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And I give the best hugs. <coughs> he does.
3: You're I pretty a, good. At
2: had a friend's birthday over the
0: weekend and I signed the card, your friend and provider of quality hugs.
3: High quality, Derek.
0: really. To be honest it's with you, I number one quality. Yeah, because uh-huh. I gotta like really sell it. No, <laughs> number one, highest quality, premium
3: bugs. Okay, mm. so let me reach under here. There's something under here, Tom. Let me get. The, let me Whoa. get this for you. <coughs> here you go. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh. All right. So, I am so, beautiful. so, Tom, we got some All sticky. What? No, it's not sticky. It,
2: well, it was sitting in something.
3: You really don't know what we just lifted up here?
2: No.
0: Oh, it's the mailbag! It's the the mailbag!
3: Silly (laughs) me.
2: Premium faux ostrich leather.
3: So who's been talking to us? All sorts
2: of people have been talking to us. What's coming from the mailbag? Hey, Mark.
1: How long
2: until the space game will be ready for Kickstarter?
1: (laughs) Is that a real question? Yeah. Yeah. I never got that. You don't... Okay. Okay.
2: There must not be a real question then. All right.
1: Let it be known, questions are only real when they go directly
2: to Mark. <laughs> it
1: is so noted. We can't promise a date yet because it's not been through the fire yet of playtesting. So our our early anticipation was going to be October, but it may be after that at this point. We need significant playtesting, and with playtesting comes changes, revisions, tweaks, refreshes. And so, yeah, I'm hoping that it's in 2019, but it may skip over the the time portal into 2020. What is time? The end of
2: 2019
1: is the answer I would have given. Yeah, 2019, (laughs) I feel very confident in the game right now. It is awesome exactly the way it is and probably could be kickstarted, but it just probably isn't quite up to the origin of the standard yet, so we're going to work out all the little details, and make it smooth and seamless and clean and simple and fun and deep and all those things that, that we strive for. Hey, Derek.
2: Yes. What is the answer to life, the universe, and everything?
0: <laughs> hmm.
1: And
2: is it or is it not 42? I, I know the say. answers.
3: <laughs> I know the answer.
2: It's 42.
0: It always is, except... We can't remember what the question yes, was asked. Yes, I'm much more concerned with
2: what the question
0: is. Yes, precisely. I
3: think the answer is ones and zeros, on and off, yes and no, alive and dead. Ones and yes. zeros, that's the answer to life, the universe, and everything.
2: Life is data. All right, we are computers. <laughs> it's,
3: it's
2: really uplifting moment. There to is no soul. Jay. 42 and What's bagels. wrong with that? There's
3: nothing wrong with that. There's nothing unsouling ing about ones and zeros. What is the soul anyway? I mean, we have DNA. That's a code that makes up how we
2: Mm -hmm. manifest and behave. It's it's more than a computer program.
3: (laughs) Mark's looking at me. I'm
0: with you, Lacey.
2: (laughs) Life is data. Do you ever find yourselves ever so slightly dancing to, tapping your fingers to, chewing to, walking to, or generally weirding out to? Musicals, yes. The rhythm, melody, or compass of a phrase.
3: Hmm
2: that you heard minutes or hours before.
3: Yes.
1: Absolutely.
2: Elaborate, please. What does it mean to weird out or dance
1: to a phrase?
3: It's like, what, what do you got, Mark?
1: Well, <clears throat> sometimes things just stick with you. And you hear or see something that, has, that adds texture to your life. And it circles and swims around in your head. And dances in your head. And I think sometimes <clears throat> your subconscious hangs on to it. And sometimes your, your consciousness hands on, hangs on to it. And it informs everything else that you're doing. And that happens to me all the time. Anything mm-hmm. that I connect with. Anything that causes me to feel something or have a different shift in, per, in my perception. Those things happen all the time. And you can describe them like that. Like that question. Or probably a billion other ways. But I mean what is life without that?
3: When my kids were really young at that age where you cannot reason with them, but they can talk a little, you know, um, it's hard, right? It's like super hard and I would feel very isolated and there was a phrase that would carry me. Mm. The world is big. The world is big, right? So as I was feeling totally taken over by the moment of this, you know, child who was yelling at me, who I couldn't communicate back to it. I loved so much, but I felt horrible. And then the words would pop in, the world is big. The world is big. And I could take myself out of that moment that was so uncomfortable.
2: With the rhythm of the phrase. Yes. This person so eloquently. Pointed. Yes. You just came so close to crying. It was amazing <laughs> how you just turned that on to speak a certain way and then turned it back off. I have so many questions.
1: <laughs> it's funny. I found it comforting to have the phrase in my head, the world is small. The world is small. Mm. Because when I was a kid, the world was so big, but it didn't always represent something good. It was it was scary and unknown and and too much. So the world is small, is comforting. It's a, you hear people say it all the time: it's a "Small world," right? Mm-hmm. Like, like
3: the connectedness. It, and
1: there's yeah, there's something intimate about that too. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. In so many different ways. Ones and it. zeros, you know.
3: <laughs> it is you know? and it isn't. No, that, it's big was, and it's small. That was
1: yeah, but there's I was like a seven.
3: Okay. Whatever
2: you say. All right, one more question, which I will take, but then I'll have a follow-up that everyone can jump in on. Um, The question is, will you produce Mass Effect's Normandy? Which I think is an unfair question, because they don't specify whether you're talking about the SR1 or the SR2. But if we want to get to the root of the question, I think it's much more, will we ever produce IP-based games?
1: Hmm. Interesting.
2: Mm -hmm. Go, Tom. I mean... We are looking at that. There are things about that that are, do not appeal to us. Um, we would rather create our own worlds, broadly speaking. You yep. know, the, the worlds that we like are wonderful, but someone else made those, those are their worlds. We love them. It's fun to visit those worlds, but when it comes time to sit down and spend our energy on making something, we want to make our own and bring our own expression into the world and bring something new from ourselves into the world. That said, there are a lot of classic properties that we think would be fun to put our own spin on, things that are in the public domain.
1: Yeah. We'd be very selective, and we've noticed that there's a lot of folks out there who like to jump on IP when it becomes available and rush that to market, and that, that kind of dims the light for me. Um, I'd, rather, I'd rather just make something new. However, yeah, like I mean there are there are some IPs out there like if we got authorized to do protected IP, there there's a there's a list of half a dozen that I would jump at just because they've been so in- instrumental in my life and and inspirational and all that, but
2: but are we going to go out and start gobbling up random video game licenses to no. make games based on <clears throat> properties people are familiar with? No.
1: No. No. No.
3: We've got enough ideas in our own head right now. Why don't we just
1: tell new stories instead of retelling old ones? You know, I mean, some of the old ones are great and they should be retold. But there's nothing like doing the work of writing something new. Mm -hmm. And let's just encourage each other to do that hard work and not be lazy about that and just go make something amazing instead of a race to create product or dollar. I, I think those are the... Dollars are the byproduct of craft and craftsmanship. And if you're gonna follow, there's a place for you. And if you're gonna lead, there's a place for you. And we just wanna make sure we're drawing the line between where we're demonstrating leadership or learning. And I think those two kind of go together. Every every great leader I know is a great learner. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's just kind of my perspective on it.
3: What if you want to like just skip around? Like sometimes I might be leading with a little skip. Sometimes I might be following. Is there a place for me to?
1: There's always a place for you.
3: Okay,
2: good. That's true. (laughs) If there's not, you make one.
3: That's true. And I'll just skip in (laughs) and I'll skip out. (laughs) What was that? Okay, so the main topic that I wanted to talk about today and kind of um, just discuss together as a group is the idea of managing creatives. Hmm. So when you have a team of creative people, how do you manage? What's a good way to do it? What's a bad way to do it? What have we all experienced in that? So the place I want to start with that though, is what do we mean by creatives? Derek, what's a, how do we, de, how are we Jeez. defining creatives?
0: That's a tough one. I think it, it encompasses so much. Mm-hmm. I know I mentioned a couple episodes ago about you know being a creative is more just a way of life than it is an occupation mm-hmm. or or a thing that I do. So that that's what I would probably say. But how to manage that is just kind of managing a life that is open, um, you know, always thinking for things at a different angle, and just you know exploring ideas. Mm-hmm. I think is a big part of that. Does that yeah. Answer the
2: question.
3: No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I w- I it would say does
2: to a certain extent, yeah. In, in many- this context, creatives are people whose job is not to simply perform a process. You know, the job involves sitting and digging within and coming up with something that didn't exist before, and that is your job. So um, that
3: bucket could include artists, designers, writers, marketers, architects, architects, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the typical, when people refer to creatives, they're talking about industry, you know, creative professionals. Like you were saying, authors, designers, consultants, creative director and Even art speakers, directors, art directors. speakers, probably. Sometimes, yeah. A- authors, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, you know, there's a lot of people out there who speak on things that they've just read. <clears throat> they're not necessarily creators. And so, I think Tom kind of hit it. If, if you're going to be a creative, then I think... <laughs> it's important that you create like you're making (laughs) something that didn't exist before. Uh
3: So that's the definition we're going to use for this today. So when we're talking about managing creatives, so Mark, you've had a creative company that's been in business for 19 years, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got a lot of experience in what it takes to actually, you know, be in charge of a group of creative people who let's be real, are we the most dependable? Are we the most timely? Are we the most consistent? Uh, I don't know. But creatives can be a little bit, I would say, more difficult to manage than uh, other occupations. Would mm-hmm. you agree with that? Sure. Absolutely.
0: Oh, nope. thanks.
3: So so let's start with this. What have you found that does not work well in managing Creatives And any of us who have been managed, what have we found that hasn't worked well for
1: us? You can't micromanage a creative and maintain their creativity. For example, it's very difficult for someone to create what's in your head. We know this from Mm. client experience. We know this from internal experience. Every creative has to develop their own way of making and living. And what their creative process is is very unique to them. And if you manage that too closely, you kill the creativity itself and they are not near as effective. So you have to give creatives a lot of leash to explore, to manage their own lives, their time, their hours, their resources, the way that they do things. <clears throat> and I think that's probably one of the most important things is you can't control how they do it, but you have to control the outcome. Mm. Let me give you a really a better example. So... You control the destination, but you don't necessarily control the journey. You you don't even control the destination. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. When you're talking about work, we're talking about making sure that something is on brand. We have a communication issue that has to be resolved. And so it is a failure if that's not resolved at the end, right? So if I'm working with an illustrator, for example, what I don't want to do is tell them exactly what I want. I think that's a terrible way to lead a creative and they become a vessel that's doing what you want. They hate their life. The product is never as good as it would have been. I think that's a terrible practice. I, I, I think what's much stronger is to share a creative brief and the objective very clearly and in detail with the, with the creative, in this case an illustrator. We're building a world. It's, it's filled with this and it feels like this and it, and it has these characteristics in this type of environment. And then let the illustrator do their thing and put their touch on it. The same with an author, the same with, you know, a copywriter or a designer or sometimes even a developer for how they want to approach solving that problem. Regardless of, it's very difficult from an art direction standpoint to not see the path and try to share that. And that's been my personal experience is, gosh, Derek, you know, there's another way to look at this. You Mm -hmm. know, I think that's a helpful conversation, but... Ooh. Gosh, Derek, I think you should do it this way is, a, is not a helpful conversation. Absolutely. And I mean, we go through that a lot. I mean, yeah. sometimes, I mean, I spent most of my career failing at this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let me just start with that. It's easy to feel pressure to get something done and to see the, the fastest path to closing that loop. Right. Essentially do the impossible. <laughs> right. You know, but, but well, unless you let people have leash and you let them go and you trust them, it, 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 I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna get all of the creative juice that only that person can create. It's and so that's one of the biggest things. Yeah.
2: How much of what you're saying is true about leadership in general? I think mm. more true for creatives. But you know, the the best leaders in my experience are people that empower people and they give them room and they give them tools to to overachieve, and then they help them find inspiration within themselves. Because you can't force anyone to do better work or to do more work. You just have to create an environment Mm -hmm. where they pull that out of themselves and are excited to do so. And you have to give them a voice. Mm -hmm. And that's particularly true, I have found in the last year and a half with creatives, because their drive, I mean, being creative is, a literal part of who creatives are, Mm -hmm. you know, that's part of their identity. And so having that voice, you know, no creative ever comes to work and says, I'm just going to put my head down and grind it out until I punch out so I can go home and do what I want. Right. You know, creatives are here because creating matters to them. The work matters to them using their voice in their work matters to them. So you have to give creative people a voice to express their creativity and to run with what they're pulling out of themselves.
1: That's one point. Okay. I have have a second. And that is often creatives become very defensive about their approach or their, or, or where they're at in a process. And I think the best creatives take constructive criticism seriously and use it to propel their skill and their overall value I was this way, and most young creatives I have found are a little bit more um, hesitant to try new things. They get a tool down and they use it again and again, and are a little bit more reluctant to be daring. And I think some of that just comes with experience. I also find that you know newer creatives or less experienced creatives, regardless of their their age or background, oftentimes not not in every case, but oftentimes holds them back from really listening and being willing to discard something that's close to them. Like, let's just say it's a design. They're not willing to scrap that and start over or understand how it's being viewed by someone else because they're looking at it through their lens. And switching lenses is is a skill set that's very tethered to to experience.
3: Well, and all four of us really who have been led by... Managers in our creative pursuits, would you agree that our ability to take and apply constructive criticism also depends pretty heavily on the style in which it is communicated to
2: us? (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely do. And again, I think this is also true outside the creative field where if you praise people when they do something well and you make them feel cared about and they feel comfortable in their standing with the group then they become less defensive about the criticism and they let it be constructive. Mm-hmm. But when someone feels uncomfortable and unsecure in their space in a group and they feel like all they do is receive criticism, even if that's not accurate, if that's how they feel, mm-hmm. then the, the the criticism is never accepted as constructive. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of a leader's job is making people feel like I am valued I matter here as a person and my work, you know, so when that criticism comes, it's received in the proper light.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: I also like a lot what you said, Mark, or maybe it was Tom, I can't remember, about creating the environment. Like, that's the job of the manager of a group of creatives more than anything, is creating an environment for them to, for for people to thrive in. Would you agree with that? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, to a certain extent. I, I think the culture is something that you can't control. I think you can only create kind of boundaries, and then the culture is going to be created by the team. If you try to control it too much, it breaks. It's mm-hmm. just too fragile. Um, like hiring is like the most important part of a business. It is. It's interesting. I, I've been doing this a pretty long time, but these guys will all tell you that my work is subject to their approval as well. It's not like I just call the shots, right? If I post something up and Derek doesn't like it, and he's like, "Well, I don't know about I don't know about how this is working with this this element, you know, the typography's not strong there. It feels feels a little bit weak compared to the placement of the iconography or whatever." We change it, you know. We we do things as a team. Granted, we give each other a lot of authority on the projects that we, each of us are lead on, and so I'll critique Derek's work, and I am his supervisor, but. I will defer to Derek, you know, I'm like, hey, here's the consideration. And if Derek has strong rationale and reasoning for why he's doing something, we choose the battle and and I let, you know, I give everybody enough leash to, to control that. And so sometimes I'll even disagree and I'll let it, I'll let it go because it's important that everybody has that authority. If you're going to give somebody responsibility Absolutely make sure you give them the authority to fit, to, Ooh, to finish it out. Because if you don't, <clears throat> they'll, they'll leave. They'll, they'll just be gone.
0: Mm-hmm. And also allow them to take ownership of it too.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Derek, have you experienced in your career anything that has either worked really well or been a total backfire as someone has been um, kind of managing your creative pursuits?
0: Not trusting what I know has been the one thing that always seems to backfire because in previous occupations, it's always, you know, you're hired to do this because you're a professional. You have the education for this and you come in there and you're making these decisions. And then when everything's questioned as to why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why did you do this? There's a certain amount of that that's very healthy because you have to be able to defend your decisions, but there becomes kind of a breaking point where it's you, you feel like, you don't know anything and then you don't feel like you have ownership over it and you're not doing your best work. And then, you know, things that have worked really well is my particular style is I like to see an idea through before I get it to a point where I want people to critique it, or at least not necessarily get it completed, but mm-hmm. get it to a point where I feel like all of my ideas are on on a design and that, you know, I I fully thought this through because I'm, I'm a very kind of analytical person when it comes to that. And so allowing the time to be able to see that through makes me much more receptive to feedback and criticisms because I feel like I have I've gotten it to the point in which I is mean, I'm as far as I can take it. Mm-hmm. I need other people to help me get it to the last 10% or 20%.
3: And you like the ability to have the space to do that?
0: Yes, mm-hmm. very definitely. Very definitely. And I know not every creative is like that. A lot of creatives like very incremental. Hey, here's where I'm at. How do I feel about where I'm at right now? And people are okay with that. And I think you know, I don't have a lot of saddle time. Mm-hmm. You know, my my career is not nearly as long as other creatives. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something that I could see evolving over time. Mm-hmm. But you know, as I stand right now as a creative and kind of where I'm at in my careers, those are the two things that kind of stand out.
3: And Tom, you've uh, – so in, in this situation, as a sense, you're managing some of the things going through Blue Blazes. Mark is managing you. In your career previously, you were managing a lot of people too but who weren't as creative. Do a lot of these concepts fit into how you were managing other
2: people? I mean, broadly speaking, there are differences. But broadly speaking, people are people, mm-hmm. right? So my, my favorite rule of thumb with leadership – is give people an image of themselves to live up to right
3: Mm, i like that if
2: you want someone to be Mm -hmm. reliable praise them for being reliable talk about how reliable they are how much you count on them being reliable and you're so (laughs) glad they're so darn reliable Mm -hmm. and then watch them swell with pride and make darn sure that they live up to that expectation because they don't want to Mm -hmm. Break that image you have of them. The, the person that taught me that, I watched them do it to me after that point, and it still was effective. Uh-huh. You know, it's just let people see the best version of themselves in how you're treating them, and they will rise to the occasion almost every time.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And that's going to be true with all people. To lead means people are following. So why are they following you? You know, what are they missing? that you are putting out there that they want to follow. And you go into any group of people and you look around and you say, what is missing here that's going to make everyone come alive in a way that they're not right now? And in every group, that's going to be different. It is different in a really creative environment because the management side of it is dramatically different. So the leadership, maybe not so much, but the management significantly. Okay. In past chunks of my career, it has been a lot of creating and managing systems finding people that will work well within those systems or adapting the systems to fit the people but pretty much everything you know here's doing this thing or making this thing should take X amount of time that's very that's not true with like it's it. very linear mm-hmm yeah and you and you adjust it based on circumstances and who's there but with the creative industry it's much more you can't just necessarily say like you're gonna come up with a great story in the next two hours go. Mm -hmm. And there's an extent to which it is a business. We do need to be able to do that, but we also need to be able to flex when that creativity isn't coming in those exact two hours, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's always a need to be able to buckle down and just get it done and be a professional, but it's a little bit different in the creative world.
0: Mm -hmm. Some of that too is a creative that I've noticed is when I'm feeling very creative, I recognize that. I'm like, this would be a perfect opportunity to work on those things that have been giving me grief
1: mm-hmm. for the past
0: week. Mm-hmm. Part of that, too, that's one thing I've kind of picked up over the past couple of years of being at Blue Blazes is, is recognizing when those moments are and when they aren't.
3: And taking and, advantage and leveraging them. Yeah,
0: exactly. Because what we do is definitely not a linear process and it ebbs and flows of when we are our most creative and when we are our least creative. But recognizing those things, I think, is a is a hallmark of a creative
2: professional. That's interesting. I've been, as not as a leader, but as an employee, I've been noticing that in myself too. That I'll take, I'll feel like I'm, you know, feeling really introspective right now, or mm-hmm. really funny right now. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I, yeah, this other thing's important, but I'm feeling like I'm going to nail this other thing right now, so I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That that's a shared experience.
3: One thing I'm, I'm almost self-conscious about and a little worried about as a manager is I don't say no very often to my team on purpose. You know, I really want to try to make sure that whatever ideas that they have, they're empowered to be able to, you know, know that they're supported by me and whatnot. And I don't say no very often. Is that is that dangerous? Is it a good thing? Do you have an opinion on that?
1: There's a lot.
2: Tied to that question. Mm-hmm. There are ways to say no without explicitly saying no, right? You, know, you hmm can... Sorry, I'm so distracted now because my wife told me that I say right at the end of sentences. more <laughs> 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 no.
3: On the podcast, right. specifically.
2: Oh, boy, so now I'm humiliated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, i
2: <Right. laughs> humiliated, right? Um, but you can nudge them. In, in, in a different direction without saying no, ask, ask leading questions. Even if they know that's what you're doing, people appreciate not being shut down,
0: mm-hmm.
1: asking why. I've had leaders like, what are your thoughts? use that with me. Yeah. Uh, hey, do you like this? And instead of giving you a yes or no answer, they like, how about this? Right. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of take you in another direction.
2: feels less demeaning
1: there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important to say no. However, so I want to I want to stress that, but I think so long as you're doing that in an empowering way, and not in a way that shuts them down, and I've done both many many times. Shutting people down is the worst outcome, right? You want to encourage and compel people to to more power and more insight and more more. And so I, I think Tom's right. It's it's all in the way that you communicate that. Oftentimes, I think even just with Creative direction or art direction, I won't connect with something. I will just point out what I'm seeing, and not necessarily give uh, my opinion. I will then ask questions that cause the person I'm talking to to solve their own problem, mm-hmm. right? Or to or to come mm-hmm. up with the yes or no themselves. Hey, should I go with A or B? Well, let's talk about A. You know, what do you what do you see in A? Right. And then I'll get them to talk about it. What do you see and B? Okay. So where are you leaning? And, and I think a lot of leadership is asking questions a lot more than giving insight and letting people lead themselves to a, a solution. And then you can kind of provide whatever guidance from there.
2: It's also important as a leader to, especially if you're a leader in a position where you don't get, you don't get questioned. You have a responsibility to question yourself, so oftentimes, no does need to be said. But it is important to ask yourself, why am I saying no, and make sure there's no ego in it. Mm -hmm. So, If they've had an idea that's a perfectly good idea, but you would have done it slightly differently or you feel like you could have done it slightly better, that doesn't mean that their idea shouldn't be pursued. so why, why is it important enough to shut them down and all the impacts that that might have to say no?
1: Mm -hmm. Now, Tom and I all day long, we'll tell each other, no, (laughs) (laughs) we talked about that in the last episode, Mm -hmm. I think, but yeah, that what what you're really looking for is alignment and connectedness between the two people.
3: Okay. So the last thing that I want to talk about is people aren't carrots, right? So like you can put a carrot seed in the ground and it's always going to grow into a carrot. Okay. You can't necessarily put a designer into a seat and say, you're going to design only this from now on. Right. What I've heard you talk about a lot. And what I've observed a lot is when you really put somebody in a position where you can question, what is it that you actually want to be doing? You know, what's alive inside of you that wants to come out and then actually giving them the space to allow that to come out, I have found that when I give somebody the opportunity to do what they are the most passionate about, they will also do the other tasks that I want them to do with much more fervor. Have you seen this as well?
2: Well, I have seen this. I'm going to praise Mark here for a second. Mark is tremendous at finding people that he is impressed by and hiring them even if they are not suitable for the position we would say on paper is exactly what we need. He finds people that are driven and smart and have great ideas and have passion and have inspiration in them. And he just gives them a platform and says, what do you want to make? What do you want to do? What drives you? What is, what could you be doing where you would be doing your best possible work? That's it. And, let, and sometimes people don't know, but he sees a spark in them and he helps them find it. And we reach incredible potential that way. It, even though every time we do that, we're kind of stepping out on this ledge or exposing our neck whiskey. a little bit. Because yeah. we have this specific need, you know, we aren't hiring, like, we've got this, you know, square hole over here. Let's find a square peg to go in it, put it in. And then Mark goes out and, you know, hires a circle mm-hmm. and but it always works out
3: mm-hmm. because it just finds out that it's a moldable circle mm-hmm. that you can actually mold into that spot for now, but then it can also grow into, it's like Play-Doh. Hmm. He hires Play-Doh. <laughs>
1: well, I, you know, you learn as you go. And I've been at this for a while. And most of those years I was in survival mode and failing and learning and failing and learning, which is part of the success process. I, I do think it's very important that when you find someone who, you know, is a good match for your company. Even if you don't have a quote unquote on paper position with roles and responsibilities written out, I think it's intelligent and wise to start conversations in a relationship with that person that could lead to being in your company. We're onboarding Two people right now and one of them i've been talking to for a year and a half and i just knew from the day one that this person uh, teresa was going to be a good match you know we don't have a specific like people don't fit into the box of a, of a role uh, right. or responsibility set they can carry those things out but what i've found with every single one of the people here that i have hired it's i hired them to do something and then over time, they're like, "Nah, this is really my sweet spot." And I let him settle in. Derek was that way. He came in with one role and responsibility, and is isn't doing any of that now. He's he's our he's our digital designer, and loves it, and that's what he's good at, and that's where he's most comfortable, and that's where he does his best work. And so that's what he does. And I just moved away from those other things and found other people. And we try to put people in those positions. You know, there's just a lot of learning. that Mm -hmm. that goes with that but Tom is the same way you know I just connected with Tom a year and a half ago or whenever it was and I just knew I'm like this guy
2: and we still don't know what my job is yeah
1: (laughs) it's true what would you say you do here something different every week yeah and, and the answer is whatever needs to be done and and it closely aligning that with Tom's passion right which we communicate every day I'm really excited about this and we start to do that and a lot of our job is not doing our passion and some of it's just doing the work that is necessary so that we can do the work that is our passion
3: but don't you think that fuels it like yeah that i really think it does i think that when you do your passion it gives you the energy to do the other things better you know
1: yeah yeah i mean in and daffron you know we bring daffron in and he's he's a seasoned designer and we had a specific need that that wasn't his favorite thing to do. And he did that for a while because, you know, he's loyal and dedicated and smart. And over time, what we found is he's really passionate about the vector world and iconography and identity and logos and merchandising. And so that's what he does now. And, you know, we just pull the other things off and and over time people just kind of find their place and they grow and they make their own bubble. And I think there's just something wonderful about that. And I I think companies who do that have people stay a lot longer Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of upside and and everybody kind of thrives in that environment. More companies need to do that. Yeah. I uh, think it will allow, become uh,
3: more and maybe that's just my, my optimistic attitude speaking, but as things do become more automated mm-hmm. and a lot of those tasks become robotic tasks, I do think that it gives humans the ability to use our creativity more to create. Um, since some of those other tasks are becoming more automated.
2: Fewer and fewer jobs are process-driven.
3: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So bring on the robots. More creativity. (laughs) All
2: hail
0: our digital overlords. (laughs) I hope they can be cute, though. They need to be cute.
3: Who's in charge of that? Maybe it
1: should be us.
0: Derek's in charge.
3: Derek.
0: I want them to look like Wally. Okay. Wally would be my ideal robot.
3: I like yeah. Eva. I, I like how she Eva. looks. I like that. Eva. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's call that good for the day. Anybody else have any chicken nuggets of wisdom that they need to.
1: Okay. I'm in a nugget fog, man.
3: I, I can see it in Derek's eyes talk over there. I about this all
1: day. Uh-huh. The nuggets? There's so much. No, just this leadership thing. Mm. I, you know, I've been a terrible manager most of my life and I'm really not a very good manager now. I, th- I think are... leadership's more leadership is more important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and the people you hire too. Can, are, are, can okay. Here. Themselves. It's true. Here's people one like more. Derek. you, Derek. Uh,
0: Here's
3: one see more thing. I set that up. <laughs> maybe, maybe if I have some, something, maybe one of the most important things I think that I've learned leadership wise over my lifetime is just how we view obstacles. We talked about this at oh, a, yeah. at a leadership oh. event uh, this week that the thing that separates most people from being a leader or not being a leader is how they view obstacles. And coming from someone who was voted most inspirational on every sports team that I ever played and you can imma- you got you can imagine this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're down 6-0 and Lacey's sweeper in the backfield still going, "All right, girls, let's do this. Come on, we got this." You know, while everybody else is pissed off that mm-hmm. I that I'm even um, you know, stop Shut up! Lacey.
1: Shut <laughs> up. Oh,
2: she's still lacing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um. Honestly, I do think that the way that we view obstacles and helping our teams to view obstacles as a normal occurrence that is totally capable that you're totally capable of handling mm-hmm. is super helpful in this genre too. So that's my last
2: little cetera okay, cetera great, great note. Okay. And and that all obstacles that that there doesn't need to be a tiered. the Yes, precisely. Um, That there doesn't need to be this like ramp scale of how big of a deal an obstacle is. Mm -hmm. You know, if an obstacle is just something that needs to be dealt with and a small one, like we're out of pens and a big one, like, oh, we misordered something. Like if you just respond to them with the exact same amount of emotion, you will be way more productive. Mm
0: hmm.
3: You'll notice a a practice that I put into place. I tell you about my brain triggers that I put into place. So a practice I put into place whenever I accidentally do something. So let's say I, I spill some food or I drop something or I bang my toe. What's my response, Mark?
1: Oh, we're doing great. Uh We're doing great.
3: (laughs) Uh Okay. All right. We're doing great. You know, that's, I have triggered that as the response to those kind of little mistakes and that kind of response to the little mistakes is practice for the bigger issues, you know,
1: and bigger issues should be expected. Right. And I think what we were talking about in that seminar was the entrepreneurial mindset that every, every, every single one of those is a puzzle. And sometimes you're bloody on the other side, but you don't let that deter you because you're heading towards something that you're passionate about. And sometimes they're difficult, and you just charge ahead. You don't let it stop you. It doesn't. Well,
3: yeah, you don't dwell. And don't it, be surprised by them. They're coming always.
1: Mm-hmm. And they and they well, and they always pop out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to be a little bit surprised sometimes, but. You're also prepared, right? It's okay to be surprised and prepared at the same time. Mm. So.
2: And ones many, and zeroes. Many,
1: many, <laughs> many I don't many know problems. about the ones and zeroes. <laughs> many, many, if, if not, not most problems, go.
2: are opportunities. Orange Nebula Space Game coming to you
1: 2009. Oh, reach <laughs> that. Yeah, we're actually tackling this head on in, in the game, mm-hmm. the, the concept of opportunities. The sacred concept. The sacred concept. It is the sacred concept, yeah.
3: Okay, well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today in our Nugget Fog mm-hmm. and our new space and the F, what are they?
1: Sixteens.
3: Sixteens. And all the things. All uh, the things. We're, we're glad that we have you here. We hope that you're having a great day. If you want to hear more from us, you can find Sound us on... You can find us <laughs> on...
1: Facebook. Or...
2: Twitter.
0: Or...
1: Instagram.
3: At the handle...
1: At Orange. Come on, everyone.
3: At Orange Nebula.
2: <laughs>
1: Hashtag Nugget Fog.
0: You can. Oh,
1: you let's, can. Time, let's do
2: this with no fog, okay? No breath fog, no Nugget Fog. No <laughs> fog. Fogless podcast. I'll bring a
3: fog machine. I hope,
2: oh. this, I hope this episode's called Nugget Fog.
3: Uh, you can go to Orangenebula.com Deal. to sign up for our newsletter. Um, we'll be putting out sneak peeks from for Space Game and more stuff coming out through there There's. soon as well. Our Orange Nebula, the Outpost community group on Facebook is um, growing and active, yeah. and it's been very, very fun engaging in there. And then, of course, the Vindication board game group is going well, too. Anything else?
1: They're not ready for space game. No. Not even close. No.
3: So that's really why we're not letting them play it at Gen Con is more because they're right. not thing, their own good. This yeah. thing is
1: a beast.
2: and awesome. not want to make sure everyone leaves Gen Con okay.
3: Yeah, they're mm-hmm. not ready.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just tired of saying, you know, we're really excited about it. Because it sounds so it's, lame it's, compared to our actual, like, We work. are
0: so excited about it. <laughs>
1: like, we break out into dances and stuff about it. It's crazy. This game is going to be awesome. It will be very fun when we reach the point where we can just start talking about it in,
2: loosely and showing pictures. And- Which
1: is actually very soon. Yeah. So. Which is why you
0: should definitely subscribe to our mailing list. Boom!
2: Boom!
0: Because you will be the first to know to about action. new, uh, mm-hmm. new tasty visual bits—the very for your first. Eyes.
3: Okay. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Have a great rest of your evening. Your car ride, wherever you are. We like you. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot. Mm. All right. We will. <gasps> See, See you, you later! Uh,
2: <laughs> that was a good one. That was hard See to onboard.
0: Later.
3: We will! Well, I'm like waiting for you to make your robot noises. Are you not gonna make them? Because oh. we're in the not in the bars. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> so I'll just do the face. Alright, bye. Bye. Somebody just sent me a little note about my micro-meditation um, Instagram stories. Mm-hmm. Seriously, thank you for these. They're so good I'm at reminding me to stop you. and breathe. What? Shut up! Exactly. I have a
2: question about that. What? So do you do a real micro-meditation and then another one where you're filming yourself? No. Yeah. No? Are I, you, you, you're you actually able to, like, find peace while filming yourself? Yeah. Huh.
3: I just look my own self in the eyes and I just oh. think it's so because I hope-
2: <laughs> Fair enough.